This is Pastor Stuart McClellan from the Altoona Bible Church greeting you. The warm-hearted church with the heartwarming message. The family church. Sing with us, pray with us, and follow the message in God's Word. The choir will open our service by singing, His love put a song in my heart. Now Lucinda Richardson will come and sing Sometimes It Takes a Storm.
When your waters are so troubled, you don't think you count at all. Waves may seem like mountains when your boat is oh so small. But somewhere past the clouds waits a new day to begin. Sometimes it takes a storm to calm the storm within. Sometimes it takes a storm to know you need a shelter.
We now have the brass trio playing forever on the trumpets.
Here now is Joshua and Stephanie McClellan singing, Lord, I Need You. Now we have Jesse Nago coming to play in the flute for the beauty of the earth.
I want to thank our musicians and singers for providing us with such beautiful Christ-centered music. Our sermon topic is the words of Lord Jesus Christ rightly divided. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, All Scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. 2 Timothy 2, 15 says, Study to show thyself a proven to God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We began this series last week, and I would just like to take a few minutes to review what we have studied last time. Verbal plenary inspiration. The word plenary means complete in all respects, unlimited or full. Plenary means that the inspiration is fully extended to all parts of the Bible, to all the words. There are no degrees of inspiration. The Bible is like no other book. Not just parts of it are inspired, not the thoughts, not even the writers. The issue are the words. These words are God's words. God gave the words to the human authors, not violating their personality, their intelligence, their vocabulary, their individual style. They recorded it, thus becoming the very Word of God. Inspiration means God breathed. Inerrant means that the Bible has no errors. Inerrant means incapable of erring, infallible, containing no errors. The Word of God is the inerrant, the infallible, the preserved Word of God. Verbal plenary inspiration, again, means that all parts of the Bible are equally inspired. This is so important to understand. There are not any part of the Bible which is more inspired than the others. So the words of Moses are equally inspired to the words of the Apostle Peter. The words of the Apostle Peter are equally inspired to the words of Lord Jesus Christ. And the words of the Apostle Paul are equally inspired to the words of the Old Testament prophets. Because their words are the very God-breathed Word of God and not the words of man. The words of Lord Jesus Christ, as important as they are, and they are important, They are not any more inspired than any other portion of the Word of God. And since we have an inspired, inerrant, infallible Word of God, we have an authoritative Bible. The Bible is absolutely, totally reliable. We must anchor our doctrinal beliefs in the Word of God and it rightly divided. And we must allow the Bible to be our guide. And we must submit to the authority of the Word of God. Why is it so important to teach and understand about the doctrine of inspiration and the doctrine of verbal plenary inspiration? Well, what about the so-called red-letter edition of the Bible, where the words of the Lord Jesus Christ are in red? Are the words which are given by the Lord Jesus Christ as recorded in the Bible, are they more inspired than any other words in the Bible? We would absolutely confess these words are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they are absolutely Scripture. They are absolutely the Word of God. The words of Lord Jesus Christ, as important as they are, they are not any more inspired than any other portion of the Bible. The whole Bible is inspired, given by the inspiration of God. It's God-breathed, but it all must be rightly divided, even the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, I'd like to read this quote to you from Miles Coverdale who lived 1488 to 1569, this has been referred to 
as a golden rule of Bible interpretation, Bible study. It shall greatly help you to understand the Scriptures. Listen to these words. If thou mark not only what is spoken or written, but of whom and to whom, with what words, at what time, where, to what intent, with what circumstances, considering what goes before and what falleth after. And then we talked about the words of the Lord Jesus Christ at the synagogue in, as recorded in Nazareth in Luke chapter number 4. Matthew 15, Mark 7, we spoke of the Gentile woman, the Syrophoenician woman, and the words of the Lord Jesus Christ directed to her and her faith. And then the Olivet Discourse as found in Matthew chapter 24 and 25, as well over in Luke and Mark. Well, what about the Sermon on the Mount? Specifically, Mark chapter, or Matthew chapter 6. Matthew 6 says, verse 25, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what shall you put on. Is not the life more than the meat and the body than the raiment? And if you drop down, I'd encourage you to read all the way down to verse 33, but for time's sake, we're going to drop down and read verses 31 through verse 33. Take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take no thought for your life, what you shall eat, drink, or put on, because all these things shall be added unto you if you're seeking first the kingdom of God. What things? The physical blessings. The kingdom program had physical blessings. The mystery program, the church, the body of Christ, has spiritual blessings, Ephesians 1.3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10 says, For even when we were with you, this we command you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. Were the words of Matthew 6.25 to verse 33 the words of the Lord Jesus Christ? Absolutely yes. Were the words of Matthew 6.25 to to verse 33 the words of God, the infallible words of God? Absolutely yes. Listen, are these words with the promises of physical blessings directed to the church, the body of Christ today, in the dispensation of God's grace? And the answer is no. And again, I remind you of 2 Timothy 2.15 about rightly dividing the word of truth. Well, what about the so-called Great Commission of Lord Jesus Christ? That's found in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, Mark 16, 15 to 18, Luke 24, verses 46 to 49, John chapter 20, verses 21 to 23, or Acts chapter 1, verse number 8. Before we consider that, let, let's just draw out a timeline so you understand. And, and one that you can draw reference to. You have the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. We know then you have the burial of the Lord Jesus Christ three days and three nights, and then you have the bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then the Lord Jesus Christ was on earth for 40 days teaching concerning the kingdom. Not about the church, the kingdom. Acts chapter 1 verse 3. To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen to them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. 
So then you have the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ, that is, his ascension, his bodily ascension to heaven, and from his resurrection to his ascension were 40 days. Then remember, the Lord Jesus Christ in Luke directs his disciples to wait to tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. How long did they wait? Ten days. What happened after ten days? That 40 plus 10 is 50. What do you have? You have the day of Pentecost. That's Acts chapter 2. And that's where the Lord Jesus Christ baptized the believing nation of Israel with the Holy Spirit for power. And then literally, you go over to Acts chapter 7, you see the stoning of Stephen, and then you see that it changes to a year. So all those events from dealing with the ascension of Christ, you're 40 days after his resurrection, the day of Pentecost, and then you start moving through those chapters of 4 and 5 and 6 and then 7, and then you hit one year. And it's very significant. We're not going to talk about it this evening, but it's Luke chapter number 13. And I remember just an illustration I would like to share with you. Many years ago, I remember talking with a couple And they had a question about baptism and baptism for a testimony and why I did not believe in water baptism for a testimony. And they opened their Bibles and they read Matthew 28, 19, and 20 and they proceeded to tell me that I was absolutely wrong. They said, look, this this is what the Lord Jesus Christ said. Read it. This is what Christ said. And I acknowledge, I know what he said. And then I asked them, Do you believe in the pre-tribulation rapture of the church, the body of Christ? To which they answered with a resounding, absolutely yes. I asked them how they could believe it when the Lord Jesus Christ did not teach that in the Olivet Discourse. They looked puzzled. And I shared with them the timeline that I just shared with you. The Olivet Discourse was given two days before the cross. Read Matthew chapter 26, verses 1 and 2. Just two days before the cross. And so, let's just assume something. And remember, the Great Commission was given somewhere during the 40 days. So let's just assume that the so-called Great Commission was given on the 40th day right before the Ascension. The time difference then between the giving of the so-called Great Commission and the Olivet Discourse would have been 45 days. And my point to this couple was, you accept what the Lord Jesus Christ said in the so-called Great Commission, but you don't accept the Olivet Discourse was just given two days before the cross. The Olivet Discourse teaches the Lord Jesus Christ's second coming will be after the tribulation. And in fact, in the Olivet Discourse, there is no teaching about a pre-tribulation rapture. The rapture was a mystery, 1 Corinthians 15, 51. And the Lord, during his earthly ministry, never taught about the rapture of the church, the body of Christ. And my question to this couple was simply, what system of biblical interpretation are you going to use? How can you reject the Olivet Discourse, but you accept the so-called Great Commission, and the time difference, at most, was 45 days? After our discussion, they still believed that baptism was for a testimony, and it was important, it was required, and they still believed the pre-tribulation rapture, even though that doctrine is not taught in Matthew chapter 24. Now just think for a moment about that illustration. Think for a moment about this timeline that we can see and lay out in Scripture. Why is it so important to study the Word of God and rightly divide it, even the words of the Lord Jesus Christ? 
the so-called Great Commission, as I said, was given by the Lord Jesus Christ somewhere during those 40 days. Let me read to you Mark chapter 16, verse 15, verse 16. And he said unto them, Go ye in all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. But he that believeth not shall be damned. Christ commands them to go into all the world and preach the gospel. If you read Luke's account, it's beginning in Jerusalem. And the word gospel we know simply means good news. Now listen, the Altoona Bible Church believes in and supports world missions. We believe in preaching the gospel of God's salvation to the world. We need to be preaching the correct gospel, not the wrong gospel. What gospel were they to preach? And we can cross references and we'll read the verse in a few moments, Acts 2.38. Look what Peter did on the day of Pentecost. He that, what, were they, what gospel were they to preach? He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. It's not for a testimony. It was absolutely required. i like to read to you an interpretation of Mark 16, 15, and 16 from a leading fundamentalist in a one-volume commentary of the New Testament. So he he believes the Word of God, he, he loves the Lord, believes salvation by grace through faith. But look what he says concerning Mark 16, 15, and 16. A striking peculiarity about this particular rendering of the Greek or the Great Commission as it relates to baptism He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Now, the ordinance may appear to be a prerequisite to salvation. However, the negative statement mentions believing alone. He that believeth not shall be damned to be condemned. In addition, baptism in the early church, he's going to refer to the early church, was an outward declaration of conversion. So even though the ordinance has no saving merit, the close connection is natural because it's a sign of genuine faith. What does quoting the early church have to do with understanding of Mark 16, 15, and 16? Were Mark 16, 15 the words of Lord Jesus Christ? Absolutely. Were they a part of the inspired word of God? Absolutely. Is Mark 16, 15, and 16 our gospel today in the dispensation of God's grace? How are you going to answer that? The answer is absolutely not. What about Peter's message of the day of Pentecost? How did he understand the words the Lord Jesus Christ gave to his apostles just over 10 days ago? Just 10 days previous. Acts chapter 2 verse 38. And Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. Listen. For the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of of the Holy Ghost. Peter's message on the day of Pentecost, this baptism was not for a testimony, it was for the remission of sins. I'd like to read to you again from the same commentary and read to you their interpretation of Acts chapter 2, verse number 38. This is one of the most controversial verses, and I'm quoting here, in the New Testament. In understanding, we must remember that it was originally stated as a message to Israel concerning their national crime of murdering their Messiah. It is unwise to link baptism with the remission of sins, for nowhere in Scripture teaches that salvation is dependent upon baptism. And then he refers to 1 Corinthians 1.17 and then 1 Corinthians 15.1-4. 
where Paul clearly states what the gospel is and baptism is not included. Those who insist upon baptismal regeneration literally rob Paul to pay Peter, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, verse 16. And if you read that, where does he go to say that baptism is not for the remission of sins? He goes to the Apostle Paul. What did Peter say that day? He, he was agreeing, he was preaching what the Lord Jesus Christ told them to preach in Mark 16, 15, 16. And while it is right that baptism has no part in the gospel of God's grace, it was included in the gospel of the kingdom. There is more than one gospel in the word of God. Do you understand and see why it is so important to rightly divide the word of truth? Ephesians chapter 1 verse number 7 says, In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Today in grace, we have complete forgiveness of sins, not through repentance and water baptism, but through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember in Acts chapter 2 verse 38, as many people think, that was the beginning of the church. Well, you, you, do you see the, the issues that they have and the paradox? that They want to say, well, this isn't for today, but this, the church starts here. No, when you understand the word of God rightly divided in Acts chapter 2 verse 38, you realize that the church, the body of Christ, did not begin there. Peter was not preaching. He was preaching to the nation of Israel and not to the church, the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is not our gospel message. Mark 16, 15 and 16 is not our gospel message. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, it's not of works, lest any man should boast. No mention of baptism as Peter did or the Lord Jesus Christ did and is recorded in the so-called red letter edition. Romans chapter 3, verse number 22. Even the righteousness, listen to this, which is by the faith of Jesus Christ, it's unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. How can you reconcile Mark 16, 15, and 16 with Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 or Romans 3, 22? Simple. There is more than one gospel in the Bible. The Lord Jesus Christ, during the 40 days after his resurrection, but before his ascension, taught concerning the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, and listen, not about the church, the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Mark 16 and 15 and 16 is not the gospel of grace. It's not the gospel which we should be preaching today. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. It's about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then think about the, the verses of Scripture that follow. Mark 16, 17, 18. And these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. Shall they cast out devils? They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. If they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. And they shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. If you believe that Mark 16, 15, and 16 is the gospel, and that you have to repent and be water baptized for salvation, not as a testimony, but for the remission of sins, what do you do with Mark 16, 17, 18, the sign gifts? Mark 16, 20 says, And they went forth 
And they preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. If the signs of Mark 16, 17, and 18 are required to demonstrate a person's salvation, there has not been a true believer on the planet Earth since the time of the apostles. And again, you might say, well, how do you reconcile that? That's not our message. And we talked several weeks ago about now and then. Go over and read 1 Corinthians. Yes, during the Acts period. The book of Acts is a transitional book. It begins with Peter in Jerusalem and dealing with the nation of Israel and the kingdom program. And it ends with what? One apostle, the apostle Paul in the city of Rome, dealing with the church, the body of the Lord Jesus Christ and preaching different gospels. What about John chapter 20, verses 21 through verse number 23? I'd like to read those verses of Scripture. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you. As my Father sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Verse 23. And whosoever sins you remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins you retain, they are retained. Now some churches have used John chapter 20 verse 21 as a theme verse for the missionary conference. For an upcoming missionary conference. As the Father send me, even so send I you. Well, if you're going to quote that verse of Scripture and say that that's kind of our commission and that should be, you know, it's a wonderful verse, again, for a missionary conference, what about John 20, 22, or 23? The power to remit and to retain sin. And again, keep in mind, these are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. We gave you the verse of Scripture so-called Great Commission, given during those 40 days, in Acts 1-3 tells us it's about the kingdom and not about the church. Well, here's a dictionary definition of the words remit and retain. Remit means to refrain from inflicting or enforcing as a punishment a sentence. Retain means to keep possession of, to continue, to hold or have. The Lord Jesus Christ gave his apostles the power to remit or retain, to forgive sin or to hold it against them. Who has that kind of power or authority today to the power to remit and retain sin? Of course, nobody does. Our sins are forgiven through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Where John chapter 20, verses 21 through verse 23, the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, absolutely yes. Did the apostles have that power to remit and retain sin? You might say. Did, did they really demonstrate that? Did, they re- did you really see this? And the answer is absolutely yes. You can see this in the early chapters of, of Acts. Think about Peter. In Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5. Or what about Simeon in Acts chapter number 8? In Acts chapter number 5, you turn there. We're not going to read all the scripture, but you can read from Acts chapter 5 verse 1 down through verse number 11. And this is with Ananias and Sapphira, his wife. And what happened? They, they had a possession of a land. 
and they kept they sold it, but they kept back a price of land. Listen, I'm, I'll just tell you right now. I believe that these people were not believers who had a lapse of faith. These were unbelievers who were trying to deceive their way into the kingdom of God. And Peter had the gift of knowledge, and he said, you didn't lie to man, you've lied to God, you've lied to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is God. And what happens then? Ananias, hearing these words, verse number 5, fell down and gave up the ghost, and great fear came on all them that heard those things. And then you find out in verse number 7, it was about the space of three hours after. So three hours have transpired when, when his wife, Sapphira, not knowing what happened, came in. Three hours. She didn't know where her husband was. He, he, he was dead. He was gone. And then verse 9, Peter said to her, How is it you have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which buried thy husband are at the door and they're going to carry thee out. He had the power to remit and retain sin. You go back in Matthew, whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is loose in heaven. You have Simeon as well. Simeon was not, we don't have time to go through this with Simeon. This, this great sorcerer who had bewitched the people of Samaria. And some people, as you see the word believe here, as you read here in verse 12 and verse number uh, 13, he's baptized, they be- but believe that he was saved. I, I believe he was unsaved. He-, he was trying to buy the gift of the Holy Spirit. And what, what is Peter going to say-, say to him? Re- he said, verse-, verse 22, repent of this thy wickedness and pray God if perhaps the thought of thy heart may be forgiven thee for I perceive that thou art in a gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity and then Simeon's going to say you pray for me Peter had the power to remit and to retain sin so yes John twenty twenty one, as the father send me so send I you and I understand that being trying to be used for a missionary conference but if you're going to be true to God's word keep reading and then you'd have to confess, we do not have the power today of remitting and retaining sin. That lies with God, and it's through the Lord Jesus Christ and the power of the blood of Christ. And then you could say, well, what about even Acts chapter 1, verse number 8? But you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to, uh, to the uttermost parts of the earth. The power was a result of Lord Jesus Christ baptizing the believing nation of Israel with the Holy Spirit for power. It's not positional truth. Acts chapter 1 verse number 8 that we just read to you was for power. Acts chapter 8, or chapter 1, verse number 8, is not the same thing as 1 Corinthians. Let me read to you, and you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. That's not for power. That, That was positional truth. And we shared with you from the same one volume commentary, Remember what Matthew 3.11 talks about. How John baptized with water, but there's one who is coming after me. He's, and it's a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. He, he's, he's mightier than I, and he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. 
And they, they try to make that baptism to be equal to 1 Corinthians 12, 13, or Romans 6, 3, and 4. No! That, that baptism was for power. It was not for positional truth. Again, what do we need to do? We need to follow 2 Timothy 2.15. We need to study. Study to show thy self to prove in the God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ that we talked about during his earthly ministry, the Sermon on the Mount, the parables? Read Matthew 13, the parable of the wheat and the tare. Again, you, you want to talk, those are Christ's words. The parable of the net. You, you will see what is consistent is the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ is what? It, it's going to be after the tribulation. And again, the second coming of Christ and the rapture of the church, the body of Christ, are not one and the same. And please... Please don't say that the rapture is the first phase of the second coming. You don't see that in in Scripture. So you have the words of the Lord Jesus Christ during His earthly ministry, Sermon on the Mount, the parables, the Olivet Discourse, or His words during the 40-day Bible conference, His so-called Great Commission. And and when you go back to that verse in Acts chapter 1, verse number 8, let me just point this out. In Acts chapter 1, verse number 8, it receives power, and you shall be witness unto me both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. And then when he had spoken these words, he a cloud received them out of their sight. There's the ascension of Christ. We know that's the 40th day. So clearly, Acts 1.8 was given on the 40th day, that so-called Great Commission. And people want to say, well, Jerusalem, Judea, that's your, that's your area, that's your city, that's your community, that's your state then, and it goes to your country, and then it goes to the uttermost parts of the earth. That's not what that verse is talking about. That, that's a wrong interpretation. The interpretation goes back to what? Remember, it deals with what? This, this, this was going to be what? They, they were to wait 10 days. Tarry, read Luke chapter 24. And you can read Luke chapter number 24, I'll give you the verse of scripture and read some of these verses. They, they were to tarry, they were to wait in the city of Jerusalem until they be endued with power from on high. And the beginning point was Jerusalem. Why? Because if you go back and read in Leviticus chapter number 23, you will see in Leviticus chapter number 23, the seventh feast of the nation of Israel, the feasts of Passover, and unleavened bread, and first fruits, and then there was a time gap, and then it was Pentecost, and then there was another time gap, and then you go to the fall of the year, and you have atonement, you have trumpet, you have tabernacles. There were seven. Seven is the number of perfection. I know later, I know later, the nation of Israel, book of Esther, because of what Haman was doing, and then Esther intercedes and and protects the nation of Israel, the providential care of God, begins the feast of Purim, and then you have Hanukkah. But those are man-made. 
I'm talking about the original seven. And those original seven, when they lay out, you will see right division. The church is not there, folks. And what you have is 313. And the first three speaks of what? It speaks of the first coming of Christ. The last three speak of what? The second coming of Christ. The issue with the Feast of Tabernacles. And they were to build booths and hang fruit in there and sit there. His name is going to be Emmanuel with his being interpreted as what? God with us. Well, the Word of God is so rich and amazing, but we need to, we need to study it. In Luke chapter 24, here, here's, again, these words. Part of what we refer to is that we're saying it's a so-called Great Commission. Verse number 46, And he said to them, Thus it is written, and it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And that's that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry, wait ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. What was the promise of the Father? The Holy Spirit. And then you read verse 50 and 51 and 52 and 53, the Lord ascends. And, and you go back to Acts, and we can see what the disciples are doing in those 10 days. As Peter realizes, I only have 11 apostles. Judas was an unbeliever. Judas went out. Judas was dead. He, he committed suicide. We know, we know. We read Acts chapter 1 and over in the book of Matthew what he did and how he was a betrayer. And Peter is going to get the group together. It's going to come to two men who fulfilled what, what verse 22 says, and then the lot falls upon Matthias, and I've read books, you know, in, in commentaries where people have attacked Peter. Peter's full of the Holy Spirit. Peter has the power to remit and redeem sin. Peter has the power where two or three are gathered together. There I am in the midst of them. Whatever you bind is going to be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is going to be loosed in heaven. See, we need to understand this. And again, when you understand verbal plenary inspiration, there is no part of the Bible more inspired, no matter who it is. And we understand the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, but they're no more inspired. And then what we're going to look at, Lord willing, next week is talk about the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, the glorified and risen Lord Jesus Christ. You want to talk about what are the greatest commission is going to be? I encourage you to read 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 down through verse 21. And see what God is doing today. And there's the message of salvation. There's the message of reconciliation. That we can take out to anyone and we can take it to the world and preach and understand. And so are all these words of, the words of God when you talk about the, the earthly ministry of Christ, the Sermon on the Mount, the parables, the Olivet Discourse, His words during His 40-day Bible conference and His so-called Great Commission? Absolutely Yes! Are all these words the words which the Lord Jesus Christ spoke? Absolutely yes. Are these words for us today? And there's where the issue comes in of no. That's not our message today. Is this scripture? Yes. What is scripture? God breathed. It's the words that proceed out of the mouth of God from Genesis all the way through the book of Revelation. 66 books given by the inspiration of God. They're God breathed. They're God's words. 
It's our responsibility to study it, to understand it, and then to apply it in our life. And if you don't, do you you understand the danger if you don't? Someone's going to go to Mark 16, 15, 16 and say, are these the words of Christ? Absolutely, yes. Or that couple that I talked to many years ago, they went to Matthew 28, 19, 20. Are these the words of Christ? Absolutely. But those are the words of Christ are not for us today because later we will show you the glorified and risen Lord Jesus Christ from heaven is going to reveal something to the Apostle Paul and those become the words for the church today. Those are our words. And if you think about it, Christ, as we read in Luke chapter 24, where I want to point out, he told his disciples to go in the city of Jerusalem and you wait until you be endued from power and high. And they waited, and they waited 10 days. And if you go back and read, you can see after the ascension of Christ is recorded in Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through verse number 11. Read verse number 12. It says, Then returned they to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which was from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey. What did they do? They went back to Jerusalem. And then you're going to see the listing of the names of the 11 apostles, and they're going to tell you the number of disciples is about 120. Peter, as I said, realizes where he's at. He's going to replace Judas. And then Acts chapter 2, verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were one accord, one place. Where are they? They're in Jerusalem. Well, a word you don't see here is the word obedience, the word faith. What did they do? They obeyed Christ's words. Folks, they, they, they obeyed what he said. Wait, wait in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power, not positional truth. They were not placed into the church, the body of Christ. There is no way that you can make Matthew 3.11 in Acts 1.5 deal in Acts and, and make that to be Acts 2, and then make that to be 1 Corinthians 12. That, that's absolutely impossible. One was for power, power, power. The other one is absolutely for position. So we want to, Lord willing, next week we're going to show you. Read, read read 2 Corinthians. Read 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 3, the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. The word of God is so beautiful, it's so marvelous. We as individuals need to study it. We need to know that it's all given by the inspiration of Scripture, that it's all God-breathed, but it's our responsibility to study it out. Christian friend, you know the Lord Jesus Christ, your personal Savior. Are you rightly, rightly dividing God's word? If you're not, that's between you and the Lord, but you're going to miss out on such tremendous blessing and truth. There's so many important doctrinal statements and doctrinal beliefs that we have because we can understand the Word of God and it rightly divided. And what seemingly is confusing is answered through absolutely the Word of God rightly divided. If you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, your personal Savior, you're listening. You've never trusted Him. There is only one way of salvation. And that is through the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ came into this world. He died on the cross of Calvary for your sins. That through his death, through his burial and resurrection and simple faith, 
For by grace are you saved through faith that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. It's not of works. Your good works, religion, prayer, giving money cannot, cannot save you. There's only one way of salvation. Won't you believe on him right now, right where you're at? Trust him and God will save you now and throughout all eternity. That's God's gift. The, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Believe and trust him right now, right where you're at. You have been listening to the Altoona Bible Church. We trust you've received a real spiritual blessing from this service. It is our prayerful desire that you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. So until we meet again by radio, this is Pastor Stuart McClellan from the Altoona Bible Church wishing you God's best for now and for all eternity.